Welcome to All Things Church Planting, a podcast dedicated to empathize with and empower the church planter. We aim to walk alongside you in your unique calling through real stories and relevant topics. We're a production of the 80 plus million initiative of the Central Region of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. You can check us out at 80plusmillion.org. Here are your hosts, Justin Thornton, coming from Glass City, USA, and Todd Sovine, coming from his aggressively creepy basement. What's going on, Church Planting World? This is All Things Church Planting. This is episode one. We got Dr. Rob Reamer, the author of Soul Care, coming to us today. He's a professor, he's a a former church planter, he's a a pastor at heart, and he's got a lot to say about your soul. We made this episode one because we want you to know that your soul is the most important part of who you are. Your intimacy with Jesus is much bigger than what you produce. Your character is much greater than your gifting in the kingdom of God, and so we hope that this episode is super beneficial to you. Why don't you listen up? What's going on, Church Planting World? This is, once again, All Things Church Planting. We're a podcast of the 80 Plus Million Initiative. You can find us at 80plusmillion.org, spell out P-L-U-S. We would love to partner with you on this church planting journey. In teasing out this podcast, we've really put money in the meter on raw church planting story. We have asked planters in every phase of planting to share their story and how they're making disciples, how they're dealing with context. Today, we want to change focus and talk about the soul of a planter. We all know the discouraging statistics of burnout and the isolation and the success numbers of sustainable planting make planting statistics even worse. Planting presses hard on your marriage, on your schedule, on your integrity, and on your soul. Because we care not just about what we produce and what you produce as a planter, but about your soul as well. We brought in a pastor, excuse me, and a professor who literally wrote the book on soul care. It's called, you guessed it, Soul Care. We'll intro him in a minute, but for now, let me introduce my rarely dressed well, but always leading well co-host, Todd Solvine. Hello, Todd Solvine. Yeah, well, not every one of us can afford $300 pair of jeans, Justin, so <laughs> it's, it's good, to, good to be here. That is the price of my jeans. Todd, as you lead the 80 plus million initiative, and as we plant churches as a region, why is it so important to care about the soul of a leader? Yeah. Um, you know, so many leaders uh, are more about doing rather than being, uh, and, and they're more about, as you've already stated, they're more about production and performance. And in the midst of that, they lose track of their souls. And when they lose track of their soul, uh, we hear too many stories of dudes blowing up, uh, dudes blowing up themselves, blowing up their marriages, blowing up their families, uh, and that spilling over into the church planting effort and that blowing up and seeing that kill momentum uh, in a community and uh, the necessity of caring for the soul is huge because if we're not caring for the soul, um, it's, it's going to catch. It's going to catch up to, to a leader. It's going to catch up to a planter. And uh, if we're going to impact the 80 plus million people uh, that God's sort of given this collective group a sense of responsibility for, we've got to help guys, we've got to help planters, we've got to help couples uh, keep their eyes on their, on their soul. Yeah. Yeah, we've, we've brought in somebody that we, um, we trust on the topic. Uh, I've read his book numerous times. It was extremely helpful, not just for my marriage, uh, but I walked into replant a church in Jersey City and used this book as there was a previous issue before I got there. And so we all needed soul care as a leadership. And so this book has meant so much to me. His name is Dr. Rob Reamer, and I'm going to call him Rob for the day. And Rob, t- tell us a little bit about your book, Soul Care, and what you're working on now. Yeah, so um, really soul care, I never really set out to write a book on the topic. Uh, It came about much simpler. I planted a church in the Boston area and, you know, the church was growing, which church planting in Boston has not been easy. And uh, as the church was growing, we ran into a problem and that was our marriage was in trouble. Uh, My wife no longer liked me. And in the beginning, I did what most people do. I prayed for her to change. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, the reality is, you know, that's one of those prayers God doesn't usually answer, you know. 
And so after a while, I started realizing this incredibly hard principle to get through our hearts and souls, and that is it takes two healthy people to have a healthy relationship. You can never fix a relational problem by focusing on the other person. And so I realized the only way this thing was going to get better is if I became healthier. It began this journey. Uh, it saved my marriage. And, you know, now married 30 years here in June, and we're in our best season of life together. And, uh, you know, after it really made a difference for us, I started thinking to myself, you know, I, I probably should teach these principles that I learned. And so I started teaching principles about how to have a healthy soul. That's really what it's about. And uh, then after I started teaching it, I put it in a class format and finally I decided to write it. So that's kind of how it came about. It was a bit of an evolution there. Oh, and currently, you asked me about what I'm currently writing. Uh, yeah, so I'm working on two projects, actually. Um, actually, in the final editing processes of two, one is a book on spiritual authority, uh, which will be out this summer. And the other one is actually a book coming out of this crisis right now called Calm in the Storm. And, uh, you know, it's just uh, kind of my belief that most of the times renewal does not occur in times of prosperity, peace, comfort, and ease. But most of the times renewal is birthed out of pain and difficulty and famine and disease and war and persecution. And I just think we are standing on the precipice of an unprecedented kingdom opportunity. So uh, that's really what I'm capturing in that book. Yeah, wow. I'd uh, love to return to another podcast on that topic alone of uh, where, where we stand right now uh, with all of this COVID stuff going on and the opportunities that the Lord may be laying out before us. And um, be fun to dig into to that topic uh, at, a, at a later time. Uh, really, really grateful that uh, as you speak to us today, um, you've already, you understand what planting a church is about. Uh, and, and that's going to help help us connect this a little bit here. Uh, Rob, as you think through your experience, as you think through the experience of other church planters that you know, uh, what are some of the greatest soul challenges that you're seeing church planters face? Yeah, so one of the issues that people face a lot of times when they plant a church is fear. So, I mean, we can start with that one. There's a ton of fear of failure. It's funny, you know, when I started planting this church in New England, it took off and, you know, we had a, a degree of success. Other church planters that came into the region, literally, I must have had a dozen of them come through and say, hey, can I do a lunch with you? They'd sit down with me, talk to me about method and vision and so on, strategy. But every single one of them asked me this question, how did you overcome your fear of failure? And, you know, about the half dozen time that happened, I went, okay, this is a massive issue that church planners are dealing with. And so, you know, a lot of it's fear. There's a lot of fear. Um, another big one that's a really big one, and that is, you know, we end up spending too much time focused on the doing and not enough time on being, Todd, which you already alluded to. You know, Jesus says in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. And, uh, you know, the reality is the fruit bearing comes out of the abiding. The abiding is the command. Fruit bearing is a byproduct. But if we're honest, a lot of times we take that passage, if you, bear, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. And we act like the command is to bear fruit. And we run around trying harder to bear much fruit. But what Jesus actually said is, your job is to abide. If you will stay deeply and vitally connected to me, the fruit will overflow out of you through my presence in your life. So, But we get this sideways all the time. And I think this is particularly true for church planning because it's a survival, you know, sort of a, a, a place to be. You know, you're trying to just barely survive a lot of times. You know, it's a, there's a lot at stake. You feel the eternal weight of souls, but you also feel the reality of, oh, my gosh, if we don't grow, we die. Right. And so you start really, man, between the energy of I got to reach people for Christ because eternity's on the line. And if we don't grow, we die man, you can really get hooked on, on producing. Yeah. yeah. And then we got the other people around us that are always looking in and what they're really looking at is the fruit and what gets measured gets done. Right. Uh, Absolutely. So we become so stinking fruit focused rather than vine focused. Yeah. Other things that you'd say, uh, man, these are some of the challenges that really get at the soul and, and erode the soul of a yeah. church planter. So, you know, I think a huge piece going on here, guys, is, is self-awareness. You know, I like to use this phrase. Self-awareness is the gateway to transformation. 
It doesn't guarantee it, but you can't even get there without it. You know, we use a phrase in the U.S. We say, you know, what you don't know won't hurt you. But I'm just telling you, what you don't know about your soul is killing you and it's killing those around you. Hmm. And in my case, there were blind spots, you know, uh, that were killing my marriage and even hurting places in my ministry. And honestly, I had no idea they were even there. And uh, for a lot of us, our self-awareness is the lid on our lives. You know, it takes a healthy leader to lead a healthy church, scale of one to 10. If you're a four, I'm telling you, the healthiest church you'll ever have is a four. And your dysfunctions will manifest in your leadership every time. Yeah, I want to go off topic for just a second and follow up on this idea. Talk to a church planter real quick. What are some of the, if you were to say, listen, if, you, if you're serious about un, having self-awareness, here's some things you need to begin to do today. Yeah. So one thing that's got to be, you know, got to happen is you have to spend time alone with the Lord, right? So first John one, God is light and in him, there is no darkness. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we'll have fellowship with one another. Just a couple thoughts on that passage. First one, it assumes that you are walking close enough for the Holy Spirit, that you are welcoming the light of God as a gift, not as an intruder. Hmm. And for too many of us, the light is an intruder. We, we don't want to know this stuff. We just want to get busy performing, doing, producing, and we don't want to know. Uh, second, though, there's a really bizarre thing that happened in that passage. If you follow the logic of it, he actually jumped off the logic track. This is what he said. God is light. In him, there is no darkness. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, what he should have said was, we'll have a fellowship with him. That would have been logically consistent. But he doesn't say that. What he says is, God is light in him. There's no darkness. Walk in the light as he is in the light. We'll have fellowship with one another. Oh, let's see. That's a crazy concept. What he's driving at is this. If you're really walking in humility, you won't have secrets with other people, and you'll be open to other people's input, feedback, and criticism. See, it's got to lead. True humility has got to lead to honesty. Humility begins with honesty and it ends with responsibility. And if you're not honest before the Lord, and if you're not honest with others, you will have soul disease. You will be in the darkness and the darkness will always disease your soul. And so for me, I think one of the big things, guys, is just having relationships in the beginning, you know, Jen was giving me feedback and I was defending, I was, I was spinning, justifying, rationalizing, but I was avoiding the light God was offering me as a gift. Mm. One day the Lord finally said to me, he goes, listen, every time you defend yourself, you are deflecting the truth I offer to help you. Wow. So I never want you to defend yourself again. And, uh, you know, it was hard. I got to tell you, it was super hard, but I started to realize people's feedback was a gift. It wasn't really uh, there to be uh, uh, harmful to me. Yeah, let's continue on this cul-de-sac of self-awareness. We, we have all these tests. Um, we as a region offer a cocktail when you throw in a little bit of APEST and throw in a little bit of SDI. What do you see the value of these tests are? How should they be used in our self-awareness journey? Yeah, so I mean, they, they offer a degree of help, right? But um, lots of them don't actually deal with the dark side of your soul. Uh, you know, so they're dealing with some stuff that, you know, motivations, the SDI, right? And the APAS with a little bit of gifting and so on and so forth. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're useful. I think all these kinds of tools, uh, Myers-Briggs, so on and so forth, are useful feedback information. But they're not telling you really how life has shaped you, how the pains of your brokenness have become manifest in the dysfunctions of your relationships and your leadership. They're not going to give you that. And the bottom line is if you don't know that stuff, the Holy Spirit wants to tell you. But if you don't welcome the light he offers, you will continue to walk with your dysfunctions in relationship and in leadership. Uh, you know... Everywhere you go, there you are. You can't avoid yourself, and neither can anyone else. So we're in trouble when we ignore this stuff. This stuff has to be kind of figured out in community. A lot of times somebody sees something about you, you know this, before you see it yourself. 
And really, they come to you, they're holding up a mirror. They're going, hey, do you see this about yourself? Mm -hmm. And honestly, we go, I don't want to see that. I don't like that. And so, you know, we, we try to shatter the mirror that they're holding up, right? We attack them. We spin it. We justify. We blame. We rationalize. Deny. But listen, only secure people can receive criticism and grow through it. We've got to get our identity squared away if we're going to be able to receive this stuff in a beneficial way. Yeah, yeah let's pull the curtain back. Uh, maybe I'll go somewhere that uh, you're not wanting to go on this, but um, I know that you have a special group of friends. You can name them or not name them. Uh, and you guys have a little bit of a pact with each other that I think that pact and, and your relationship would be valuable for other planters to hear about and for them to consider who, who are my three that I yeah. do this with. Yeah, no, I have four people in my life that know everything about me. That'd be Ron Walborn, uh, Martin Sanders, and my wife, Jen, my buddy, Rich Schmidt. Um, I, you know, Listen, I mean, I got to a place in my life and early on where Jen and I are struggling in our relationship. I'm struggling with lust. Uh, I was in my 20s. Honestly, I thought when I got married that this would go away. It didn't go away. Now we're in conflict. It's only <laughs> exasperated by our conflict. And I'm in the dark and I'm not telling anybody. I, my, my confessions were current with the Lord. But I didn't let anybody know, right? Listen, in my church growing up, we didn't talk about this stuff, right? And in my family, oh, dear God, we never talked about sex. So, I mean, this stuff, you know, we didn't do. So, all of a sudden, I'm struggling. And I went up into the, the, the office that I have in my house there in, where I was living in Boston area. And, and I just prayed, Lord, I'm really struggling. I need help. And it wasn't just with lust, it's in my marriage, every area. I'm just like, God, you got to help me. And I had this huge library and I just said to the Lord, there's got to be a book here by someone who knows something I don't know. Can you lead me to a book? And literally I hear the Holy Spirit. He says, there's a, there's a book up on this eight foot bookshelf, reach up there and grab it. I pick it up. I go downstairs. The book's called Continuous Revival by Norman Grubb. It's about a revival that took place in the Congo, lasted like a hundred years, right? And these are the key principles in the revival. I go down, I start reading the book and he's packed, unpacking 1 John 1. You got to walk in the light with God and others. And he says, the only reason you're not willing to walk in the light with someone else is because you're proud. And God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. He said, if you are hiding and holding secrets, that's because you are proud and you're not really in the light with God at all. You're lying to yourself. This is what he's unpacking on me, right? He is flailing me. And, and I'm sitting there reading a book in bed. It's 10 o'clock at night. My wife is reading a book right next to me. And I hear the Holy Spirit. And he says to me, you need to tell Jen you're struggling with lust. I'm like, this is how you're trying to help me? I'm asking for help and you want me to tell her I'm struggling with lust? I said, Lord, this is nuts. I said, we're struggling in our marriage. If I tell her I'm struggling with lust, this is not going to help us. This is going to create more conflict. And, you know, I'm wrestling with God. And I'm not even reading the book anymore. Now I'm just, the book is open and I'm arguing with God in my head, right? And, uh, and finally, I just said to the Lord, you don't understand. You're not married. I'm telling you, if you were married, <laughs> you would not do this. So, you know, I did what any man of God would do. I shut off the lights, went to bed, right? <laughs> I couldn't sleep. And uh, under conviction, and finally I told Jen I was struggling with lust. Of course she cried. Hmm. And you know what is funny? You can confess the same thing over to the Lord over and over and over and over. And you get what I call a doom loop. And the cycle looks like this. You sin, and then you confess it. And you sin in the same direction and you confess and you sin and you confess and you sin and you confess, but there's no true repentance or life change. Mm. And now you go underground with your pattern and your heart grows hard. What needs to happen is the piercing of the heart. That's brokenness. Just like when the soil gets hard pan, there has to be a piercing of the soil before the seed can be received. And there has to be breaking up of the fallow ground. And, uh, you know, when I told Jen, it broke my heart. Her tears pierced my heart. That's the power of community. When we're really honest with community, it often leads us to true brokenness, which allows the seeds of the Holy Spirit and the seeds of the Word of God to begin to penetrate the soil of our soul 
It doesn't lay there on top of the soil and allow the birds to come and snatch it away, as Jesus uses that illustration in the parable of the sower. Your uh, vulnerability unlocks other vulnerabilities. Um, yeah, second year of uh, church planting, I'm hiding my, my lust life uh, from my wife. And um, I, I was doing the same thing. I was confessing in, in a secret place. Uh, I, I even was confessing to brothers at times, but it was, it was that, oh, I'm winning some battles and losing some battles. You know, right. not, 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 not right. a whole story. Right, yeah. Um, and, and she, she finds out and, you know, uh, that broke me enough where I came full clean and where my repentance became real repentance yeah. and repentance turned into tears and, and, uh, vomiting of the soul and everything changed. Yeah. <laughs> everything changed from there. Yeah. Uh, there. There was, I mean, there was, obviously there's, you know, whatever, but, there, there was a turn. What, what, what was an addiction was a full turn in healing and freedom from an addiction, uh, and and now a testimony to walk other brothers through it. But it was that that true confession that you were talking about. Yeah, and I made a decision at that point in my life that I would die with no secrets, right? And so from that point on, I decided to get some friends around me, and you know, to this day, my buddy Martin lives just a couple miles away, you know, and uh, he'll come over here today, and I'll hang out with him for a bit with a six foot gap between us and all, but but we'll hang out. And I'm telling you, one of the things we still do regularly is we update our confessions. Now, most of the times I do it with him because he's closest to me now, but these other guys that would never, ever, you know, I'd never be hesitant to the next time I see him to update confessions. It just would happen. And, uh, but Martin, you know, I'll see him regularly and I'll update confessions. If I'm struggling, I'm going to tell him. Uh, you know, in this season, for example, you know, I mean, this is just life. You're going through this COVID thing. It starts to, listen, there's nothing like a crisis to reveal the cracks of your soul. It doesn't put them there. It merely exposes what is inside of you. By the way, that's why church planning so often, you know, manifests in this brokenness. It's because this brokenness was in us. We never dealt with it. And under the crucible, the pressure cooker of church planning under the pressure this stuff stops to pop you know and uh that's what was happening with me well in this covid thing you know one day my wife comes up to me and i don't know three weeks ago two weeks ago she goes to me are you irritable with me i go no but i sure am irritable and she goes why i go i don't know i'll unpack that and you know i went along with the lord and really you know what it was it was fear listen i'm not i'm not afraid to die that's fine as a matter of fact i'm pretty ready to go see jesus But I got to tell you, man, there was two emotions that I have to continually sort of strip away inside my soul these days. One, there was some fear that I had to unpack, which had mostly to do with the loss of my lifestyle. Just, you know, uh, I lost, I don't know, 60 or $70,000 worth of income as a result of this thing, right? Uh, Gigs where I sell product and so on, you know, books. That's how I make my living. ATS can't afford my salary. You know, I mean, that doesn't really work. So, I mean, I got to do this other thing. And, and so, you know, there was that, I could just feel this fear. But the second thing that's there inside of me these days uh, that I can feel uh, is sadness. You know, there's so much loss in this season. And, you know, here's the thing, you know, the sadness of, you know, you lose, you lose contact with your friends. I've got elderly parents. My dad is sick. I can't go see him. You know, and it's all this loss all over the place. I miss crowds. Like Zoom is a soul-sucking activity, right? It's just soul-sucking. And then on top of that, you know, you do live stream and you, you know, you only feedback as you can see the little number with how many people are watching, but there's no laughter. There's no tears. There's no stories in the in-between spaces. There's none of the rewards of what we signed up for, which was life change. And you don't get to see it in the moment, right? So there's just this sadness. Anyhow, I have to unpack all this stuff on a regular basis because if I don't, I get grumpy and irritable and grouchy. My wife's like, man, I'm walking around on eggshells here. What's your problem, dude, right? (laughs) You know, uh... 
let's let's shift this uh, to a little bit larger perspective from the planter themselves to when we talk to church planters, we talk to them about the culture that they're creating in their church planting efforts. And what does that culture need to look like? What does a kingdom culture look like within the context of secular culture and and, and how do we plant that kind of culture that is Christ-honoring? Talk to us a little bit about how would a church planter go about creating a, a culture within their planting effort that is really focused on soul care, not simply on communicating good truth and equipping yeah. people and sending them for ministry, but how, how does a planter become intentional about this Building a soul care culture. Yeah, so I think about deep life change, which really is what soul care is all about. It's really about deep life change, not the surface stuff that religion brings in, not sin management or behavior management, but deep life change from the heart out. You know, Jesus was always a heart and soul guy. Out of the overflow of the heart, the person speaks and acts, right? Because he throws in adultery. So he doesn't use the word acts, but it's clearly there by what he uses. Um, so when you really want to think about deep life change, I think there's three key components to a deep life change culture. The first component is there has to be anointed teaching. And I'll explain what I mean and what I don't mean. I don't mean a gifted teacher. Listen, if you're not a gifted teacher, why are you teaching anyways, right? So I'm assuming gifting. That's not what I mean. When I mean anointing, what I mean is this. I mean the teacher himself or herself has lived into the teaching. They have internalized they have integrated the truth. A lot of us have knowledge of truth that we have not yet integrated into our lives. And when you have knowledge of truth without integration, it leads to disintegration of the soul. You'll always have gaps in your soul. There'll be holes in your soul. So, but when you actually integrate, then what happens is you now have authority over your subject matter. So guess what? Every time you preach it, you create an atmosphere of breakthrough for people. Now, part of this is being honest, open, and vulnerable because no one integrates wholly all the time fully well. So therefore, you have to be open and honest and vulnerable because you're then helping people to see how a lack of integration impacts your relationship with God and others. And then they start to go, okay, I see it. I see it. I know what it looks like when I don't apply these principles. I see how it damages. And it, it motivates them by your own ex example, right? As Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. But, you know, we often don't do that well. So you got to talk about that stuff, okay? Uh, that's one. Two, deep life change culture has to have true community, so one of the things that vulnerability does is that it opens up the atmosphere for, for people to be safe, to be confessional. And you can't have life change in the darkness. Listen, we are spiritual beings in a spiritual world. We are always giving away spiritual access. We do not get to choose who, uh, we do not get to choose if we give away access. We only get to choose to whom we give away access. When you pick up the tools of the kingdom of light, you give access to God. But when you pick up the tools of the kingdom of darkness, you give access to the enemy of your soul. Hiding, darkness, secrecy, lying, those are tools of the kingdom of darkness. You can never use a tool of the kingdom of darkness to gain freedom in the kingdom of light. You will always be in bondage. So you have to call people into true community where there's open, honest, confessional living. You got to call them into 1 John 1. But yes, you know this, people do what people see. So if you're vulnerable, then they're going to take a risk. You know, I just shared some story about lust and, you know, immediately, right, Justin is inspired to share his story, right? Well, that's, all, that's the way it always works. Yeah. And then, you know, the next piece, the third piece, if we're going to have a true life to game, deep, deep life change culture, uh, there has to be anointed teaching, there has to be true community, and there has to be the presence and power of God. Because only God can change the heart. Only God can heal the soul. Only God can free the captive. So I don't mean a theology right. of the presence and power of God without a practice. I mean, we need to press into God until we carry his presence enough that his power comes when we show up in a room 
more often than not. Yeah. And that is essential for the church to do well. Without the presence and power of God, I think mostly we're religious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Rob, you're a professor at a seminary. And um, what, what is the seminary doing to help young leaders learn how to lead people into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, into that place where people encounter the power? Because i got to be honest with you, a whole lot of guys know a whole lot about how to teach and preach and counsel, but they cannot for the life of them even begin to think or articulate or move people towards the presence and power of the Lord. So what exactly are, are you doing at the seminary level to help guys with that? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, people like me and Ron Walborn, you know, and others uh, who are down here would be teaching on these kinds of things and creating this atmosphere in classrooms. Uh, Lots of classrooms we do. There's deliverance, for example, where the presence and power of God comes and people get set free from demonic stuff. There's healing, where the presence and power of God comes and people get miraculously healed. Uh, that would be a fairly normative thing for lots. And then so what we're doing is training and equipping people. So not just doing this, us as professors, ministering in this way, but training and equipping people to do these things, uh, which, you know, I think the church in general has not done that well with equipping. You know, we don't, we don't often, we tell people they should, you must, you know, do this, don't do that, but we don't really help them with the how-tos. And, you know, so much of excellent leadership is about the equipping process. And one of the things that's really difficult for lots of people is to equip others in the works of the Holy Spirit and in the supernatural activity of God. And we've got to get good at that. We've got to learn how to equip people. So, you know, I started Holy Spirit weekends at my church. Really, all I was doing was doing an atmosphere where I'd teach on things of the Spirit, but I would always include a lab time where people could participate in hearing God's voice, in praying for the sick, in casting out demons, all that kind of stuff. And I'd literally create the atmosphere and equip them and coach them on how to do this stuff. Uh, yeah, otherwise, it's just we teach it and people go about going, yeah, that's true. I believe that stuff. And then we have none of it in our lives. And there's this giant gap between what we believe and what's in the Bible and what we're actually experiencing. Rob, there's uh, a ton of different landmines out there for young church planters. Um, can you point out two or three landmines in, in a marriage uh, I want to talk to the church planners marriage right now, the, the things that we should be looking for. Um, what, 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 what landmine should we be looking out for in our, in our marriage as we're, as we're just starting to plant churches? Yeah. So um, one, I would be again on top of the issue of self-awareness. Uh, let's talk about honesty in a couple of different ways in marriage. First, Um, I do think sometimes we end up with all these pressures that lead us into sinful behaviors and then we go underground and we're not honest with our spouses. That is disastrous to marriage. And it also produces shame in your inner being. Shame is like Teflon and nothing sticks to Teflon. So what ends up happening is shame produces an intimacy barrier between you and others and you and God. And all of a sudden now you have this wall of intimacy that is now there before you and it's hard for you to penetrate through. Um, And that's what shame does. Wherever there are secrets, there is shame. It's an inviolable principle of the soul. And you've got to walk in the light. So being honest, really super important for church planners. And I think with all the busyness and with all of the pressure of making something happen, we blow by honesty sometimes. Mm. We're so busy doing, we're ignoring what's taking place in the soul. The Holy Spirit's shining light, but we blew past the light. We blew past the stop sign of the Holy Spirit. Um, We said something insensitive to our spouse and they got hurt. We saw it, 
But we didn't take the time because there's too much to do. And quite honestly, we're emotionally drained. And so we don't have the energy to go after the conflict. Even though we saw it, we saw it and we blew past it. We can't afford to do that. We got to be honest. And that leads me to the second thing that I would say. I would just talk about, you know, there has to be a filling process for church planners. And I want to fill two areas in particular. One, uh, spiritual. So the abiding piece. Like that's got to be a non-negotiable space in our lives as church planners. We really need to take Jesus serious in John 15. That the command is abiding. It's not fruit bearing. And we got to put abiding first. But the second one is more emotional. It's human. And that is, I think we need some soul fillers. We need to have fun in our lives with a grateful heart. Listen, church planning is draining. Yeah. And uh, the reality is ministry is draining. Ministry is hard and it's draining. And you know what? What ends up happening is we're giving, 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 and pretty soon we got nothing left in our souls, in our emotional tank, our emotional reserves are completely, you know, empty. And you've got to replenish those. One of the best ways I know to replenish my emotional reserves, have fun with a grateful heart. Mm. You know, the psalmist writes, you know, Taste and see that the Lord is good. But I mean, really, how can you taste and see that God is good? You can't lick him or anything, right? I mean, so what does he actually mean? You know, I think what he means is you got to participate in the goodness of God in life and then do it with a grateful heart. So for me, I mean, one of the things that I decided to do in my life was to make fun a spiritual discipline. I regularly scheduled fun activity, replenishing soul replenishing activities in my life with gratitude. And I'm telling you, one of the things that hardship does is it diminishes your perception of the goodness of God. And having fun with a grateful heart restores your perception of the goodness of God to the center of your soul. And when you lose sight of the goodness of God, and it's all about work, there is no energy or satisfaction in that. Yeah. Oh, man, there's a thousand trails to go down on this one uh, in a whole lot of different ways. Um, one, of the, one of the beauties of church planting is that uh, you really do get a, a, a clean slate in front of you to build the kind of culture uh, that you've that you that we see in scripture and we dream of where people really are living at a a deep life change type of place um, ta- uh, this just curiosity com- going back in our conversation Rob do you find that unbelievers before they come to Christ this whole idea of it's it, it's safe just to confess my junk is a whole lot easier for those people who don't have a religious background compared to those that have been steeped in it? Well, for, for a lot of them, yeah. I mean, so, you know, a lot of people that come to faith in Christ are coming from places of brokenness, right? Lots of us who have come to faith in Christ that didn't inherit it from our parents and we grew up going to church, but came to faith later in life. It was the brokenness of life that drew us in. That's super common. So you come, you know, the great thing about brokenness is it produces a desperation inside of you that makes you humble. So you're open to new solutions. Again, it's the piercing of the heart. And so for a lot of us, that's how we came. So they are honest. I I believe in all my heart that more people are going to come to faith in Christ today because they know they're broken in need of a healer than know they're sinners in need of a savior. And, and hear me, that is a missiological statement, not a theological statement. I get the fact that they're sinners and Jesus' blood is the only thing that can redeem them and get them to heaven. Totally understand that. What I'm saying is the gateway, the entry point for many of these folks into a Jesus-abiding relationship will be their brokenness. I think that's more true than it's ever been. Because we've become a society in this postmodern realm that we're in that doesn't always know about truth. You know, if it's, if it's really out there, can you even know it? So sin has become a, a pretty murky area, right? But brokenness? 
oh, see, that's become wide open to talk about. I know about my anxiety. I know about my depression. I know about my conflict. I know about my relational chaos. I know about my addiction. I think churches that can move in power in this generation and set true captives free in the name of Jesus will reap an untold harvest. But yeah, religious people learn how to hide. They learn to pretend. Uh, and so one of the great barriers to soul care culture is religion. Yeah. What happens with religion is this, you know, you learn, think about religion for a second, like a series of check boxes. You have to do this. You can't do that. You got to read your Bible. You got to pray. You got to go to church. You got to evangelize. You got to tithe. You can't lust. You can't be angry. You can't do whatever it is. And you got all these things you have to do and you can't do. So what happens is people have this super black and white linear checkbox thing going on. And this is how I measure whether or not I'm performing well as a Christian, right? Now, all of a sudden you throw a soul care thing. If you don't break religious culture, this is what ends up happening. I go, oh, I have to be honest. That's my new checkbox. But you know what that means? It means I'm going to be honest enough to be accepted in community, but I'm not really going to get honest. I got to tell you something, that's more disastrous than if you weren't honest at all, because now you're pretending to be something you're really not, and you're fooling yourself. Yeah, yeah. Man, you, you, it's, it's a, little bit, a little bit of a buzzword right now, the whole idea of community and wanting to experience community. You hear churches talking about that all the time. And yet it remains at a really superficial level and we're patting ourselves on the back and saying, Hey, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. And, and I just wonder if that isn't putting a nice solid concrete block right on top of the ability for people to gain freedom in the midst of what should be something beautiful. Yeah. And it's super hard to develop a new culture without breaking the old one. Think of this for a second, guys. Really, what discipleship ultimately is, it's, it's about shifting culture. It's about shifting culture from, in your case, your culture in Ohio, your family of origin culture. It's about shifting culture from that to the culture of the kingdom. And so really at the end of the day, you can't shift culture without dismantling the broken pieces of culture. This is why Jesus uses the line about the new wineskins. Really what he was trying to do was dismantle religion right. so that he could build kingdom culture. And he was discipling, bringing his disciples across, his followers across into becoming people who were enculturated in the values of the kingdom. But he had to dismantle religion. We have to do the same. You, yeah. If you lay kingdom culture over top of a religious culture, you'll just get a mess. Right, right. Can I, can I give a, a little rebuttal here? Thinking of as we coach church planters, I know what they're going to say. When, when we're making a core value out of honesty, they're going to say, I got nowhere. I got nowhere and I got nobody. Uh, and if their relationship with their wife is not in a place, I definitely, I definitely have nobody. Right. There's just ministry is hostility. I have no safe person to really be myself with. I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've said that or I've heard a young church planter say that or they'll ask me that question. Who do I how do I identify somebody that I can be all of myself in front of? Yeah. You know, how, how do we cross that bridge? Yeah. So, you know, Justin, you know this and uh, and they do, too. The truth is trust is built one step at a time, right? Mm -hmm. The key to deep relationship is trust. Trust is earned. It's developed over time. So in my case, this is what I did. Again, I, I didn't grow up in a family that lived honestly. This wasn't part of my culture. But I had this buddy, Rich Schmidt, who was my friend back in seminary. And I had shared some with Rich, right? Most of us have friends that we've gone a little bit further with than other people. And here's the key, right? When I shared with Rich, he was, he was faithful to the trust. He had never violated my trust. So, you know, one day um, I, I called him up and I shared a little bit more. And he was faithful again to the trust. I called him up and shared a little bit more. You know, we'd both graduated. We're both in ministry. And he was faithful to the trust. And one day I shared the hardest thing I've ever shared with anybody in my life. And I shared with him that my marriage was a wreck. That was worse for me than talking about lust. I was more comfortable talking about lust with my guy friends than I would have been talking about my marriage. Cause you know what? That was shameful, right? The marriage failure felt like failure and failure always produces shame. 
And so I just, I, I shared with him, I go, bud, I got to tell you, my marriage is really in trouble. And uh, he was quiet on the other end of the phone and he went, so is mine. Mm. And we started sharing openly every week. I was reading a book. I said, this book's really helped me. He picked it up. We had common language. We'd call once, at least every couple uh, weeks. And then, uh, you know, he'd pick up a book. He said, try this one. I'd read it. I'd call him. We'd process. Finally, one day I called him on the phone. I said to him, listen, we've been really open and trust is really deepened in these last few months as we've shared so deeply. I said, and what if we got together and did a total life confession? Dead silence on the other end of the phone, right? And I knew what it was. He's calculating the cost. And I said to him, I waited him out. And, I, and finally, he said to me, you, you mean everything? I go, right, everything. No secrets when we leave the room. Dead silent. All right, I'm in. <laughs> and, and, and then we did this total life confession. Listen, I'm telling you, when I left the room, I felt like I weighed 500 pounds less inside my soul. Wow. There's, there's so much freedom in the light. There is so much bondage in the darkness. We know this. It's in the Bible. The problem is we so often aren't integrating what Scripture teaches. Hey, one last question from me. Um, I'm, I'm going to go back to the fact that you're a, a professor at a seminary. Um, our observation uh, from the guys that we work with in the church planting world um, across all kinds of denominational lanes and tribes and uh, church planting organizations, there just seems to be a lack of, of men and women who are saying, I want into the church planting world. Yeah. Uh, why is that? And what do we need to do about that? Well, let's start with the basics, Todd. And you know, this generation, uh, fewer of them are going to church than previous generations. Uh, we're losing these kids that are growing up in church. There's a disillusionment with the church. And we're losing a lot of these young people. And therefore, if you have disillusion with, with an organization, most of the times you don't feel all that motivated to get involved with it. And if you feel disillusionment with an organization and you feel a sense of disempowerment because of the controls of the organization and you feel a sense of disempowerment because of the belief of our society today that we feel very much like we're powerless and there's victimization. And when you feel all of that combination, church planning feels like an overwhelming, daunting task that is far beyond my capacity. Hmm. Um, some of this, what this means is we're going to have to help this generation get through their disillusionment. This is the stuff that's in the suitcase of their souls that needs to get unpacked. So when we're discipling them, we're going to have to intentionally unpack some of this stuff, the disillusionment, the hurt, the disappointment, the feeling that they got clamped down on and controlled and disempowered. Um, we're going to have to really help them with that stuff. And then we're going to have to empower them. Part of empowerment means they're going to plant churches that don't look like the churches that we belong to and we don't agree with what they're doing and we're going to empower them to do it anyways. That's really empowerment. Their version of church is going to make a lot of us older folks feel a little uncomfortable. And you know what? Get over yourself. This isn't about you. It's about Jesus and his kingdom. So Amen. we let ourselves, you know, sort of our opinions go to the cross. And we need to empower people to do things differently and bless it. Uh, you know, I love John Wesley's line. John used to say, if you love Jesus, give me your hand and I'll work with you. And, you know, what, it, what he was driving at was let's agree to disagree on all kinds of stuff, but let's really center on Jesus. And I think this generation has to be empowered with that kind of mentality that we want you to center on Jesus and you can deconstruct the church any way you want to. And we want you to rebuild it in ways that to us may look like a really ugly, hideous looking bride. But at the end of the day, uh, we're going to trust you with the church. And we think that Jesus in you can be trusted to build the church in this generation.
Amen. How, how do we do a better job of getting that message out there? Uh, because what you're what you're saying is right on, uh, but that message isn't isn't being proclaimed loud enough for the next generations to go. Are you serious? Because if you're serious about what you're saying there, these this generations coming up are giving their lives away to some really incredible stuff right now. Yeah, uh, and it's a powerful generation. And we somehow have to get that message louder and broader. Uh, and how do we do that? Uh, you know, obviously, the hard part is getting it through the existing church. And that's not easy. Um, where we can't get it through to the existing church, I think what's going to have to happen is the good news is we're a generation that's doing a lot of this stuff with podcasting and all this kind of stuff. And I think there's enough people out here that are going to listen in, not just to this conversation and others like this, but they're going to listen in to people like John Tyson in New York City and so on and so forth. And there's going to be some people that are going to latch on to, hey, there's a different way to do church. We don't have to do church like my parents did church or my grandparents did church. And uh, we maybe feel this sense that God could use us to develop something new in our generation. And, uh, you know, there has to be then some of us from the older set who step back, take our hands off the rein, and really speak empowering words and come alongside and say, we're just here to serve. We want to see you really succeed in reaching your generation. And we realize your church can't look like our church did and probably shouldn't. And so there's got to be enough of us that speak those words, have those conversations, put our arms around enough shoulders and bless men and women to go out there and do this because there's a lot at stake, man. Heaven and hell is on the line still. That has not changed. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Church planter, uh, we need you, uh, whoever you are and however you're planting, uh, we, we bless you. Uh, we need you to plant that way. However God has called you to plant, but we need you to focus on your soul first we need you to care about your soul first. That's what Jesus cares about. He's a God of the insides, not a God of the outside. I was reading this this morning, 2 Corinthians. Uh, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. This is a God who loves your insides, cares about your, your soul, your integrity, your marriage. That's what he cares about you as a son or daughter in Christ, not what you produce, not what kind of church you produce. And so uh, thank you, Dr. Rob Reamer, for uh, enlightening us with, with, with what's going on in, in your book and in your life and, and sharing uh, what it means to care about the insides. Well, we hope to have you back when, when you write these next 15 books that you're on. And uh, we, we pray that those books go well as, as well. And that this quarantine goes right back, you know, where it came from. And, and you, can, you can get back to your conferences. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, it was great to be with you guys. Thank you for listening to All Things Church Planting. Do you need a friend to change the world with? So do we. Once again, check us out at 80plusmillion.org. Life is too short to plant churches alone. And if we are going to power church planting movement, we are going to do it together. See you next time on All Things Church Planting Podcast.